So we are in when uh, in chapter two of the book of James, we finished up uh, James chapter one uh, over the last couple weeks, and tonight we're going to see reoccurring theme, and that's the theme that doubt is in contradiction and conflict to faith, and the discrimination is in conflict in contradiction to faith in direct contradiction we're going to start our message on James chapter 2 by reading from what book from Matthew chapter 5 that's right so Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 we're going to read through 11 when Jesus saw the crowds he went up to the mountain and after he sat down his disciples came to him He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This word blessed is makarios. It means blessed, happy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in what? Heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. These blesseds, these blessed ours, they're known as what? the Beatitudes. Jesus began his preaching ministry with radical, controversial ideas. This is what he led with. He led with this. Blessed are you when you mourn the poor in spirit, when you're persecuted, when people say horrible things about you on my behalf. This was his introduction You'll be blessed by God and therefore happy, very happy. If you do these contradictory things, these things that go against society, these things that go against expectation, these things that go against what you might be used to. You see, you think success and happiness comes from being rich. But I'm telling you that it comes from being poor in spirit. You think that being happy comes from not being sad. But I'm telling you, That when you mourn, when you mourn, my Father will be right there with you to comfort you to the degree that you're better off being comforted by me in the midst of mourning, comforted by my Father in the midst of mourning than any form or sort of happiness that this world has to offer. You are blessed when you mourn. You'll be comforted by God. Blessing and happiness 
comes only through and in Jesus Christ. So throw out all you know. And Jesus says, and know me. You want to know the Father? Know me. This sermon made an impact on James. This sermon profoundly affected him, so much so that when he writes this letter to the church who is being persecuted, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, he reminds them and teaches them these things that Jesus taught. As we begin James chapter 2, I want to bring your attention to the harmony that exists between this book and another chapter in the Bible, Matthew chapter 7. Amazing harmony. Can anyone tell me what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are more commonly known as? Anybody? Something on the something? You guys are pretty and smart. Sermon on the Mount. This Sermon on the Mount impacted James. I tell you what's cool about this is all indications are when he heard this Sermon on the Mount, James hadn't yet believed in Jesus. James heard it as a non-believer. He grew up with Jesus. He's the half-brother of Jesus. But he didn't believe. But this message still made an impact on him. Friends, I can't say strongly enough the impact the Word of God has on an unbelieving heart. It has the power to stick. It has the power to stay. It has the, po- the power to connect itself and bring about belief. The Holy Spirit uses every word that, that we will speak pointing people to Jesus. He will use it to bring them to Jesus. So let's be quick. This made an incredible impact on James. As we study James 2 together, an additional source of insight into James' thinking is found in comparison with the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, especially what's contained in Matthew chapter 7. So James chapter 2 begins with instruction, warning, and correction against judging. Against judging. Because of James' emphasis on judging, the obvious place to begin looking is Jesus' instruction against judging in Matthew chapter 1, where he commands his followers not to judge. But the similarities don't stop there. So I'm going to kind of highlight some changes, but here's what I want us to do. Next week, Tyron's going to be here. We have two weeks to study this. We have two weeks to study to get two Bibles, or to get a parallel Bible, or to just open two windows on our computer one with Matthew chapter 7, one with James chapter 2. And I want us to study these things because the parallels between these two passages is amazing. Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, don't practice or allow judging. James chapter 2, verse 1. Don't practice or allow judgmental favoritism. Matthew 7, 3 through 5. An illustration of removing one's own faults so that one can help remove others' faults. James 2, 2 through 4, the illustration of removing one's own partiality so that that person can instruct others. Matthew 7, verse 6, warning not to despise what is sacred in favor of dogs or pigs that will harm you. James chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, warning not to despise brothers who are poor yet rich in faith in favor of others who harm you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, the encouragement to ask and believe. That's the passage that says, ask and it shall be given unto you. 
Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. So James doesn't have a parallel in James chapter 2 because James already covered this in James chapter 1. So in Matthew 7, verses 7 11, there's the encouragement, ask, seek, knock. And in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, we've, we've covered this, but once again, he covers the idea. It says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him do what? Ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So back to the comparisons. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Summary of the law as doing unto others what you would want done for yourself. James chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Summary of the law as loving others as yourself. James was paying attention. And then the Holy Spirit working through James wanted this message reiterated to the church. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. A summary with counsel and warning to follow the narrow way that leads to life. Jesus. James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Summary with counsel and warning to follow the only law that gives freedom. Jesus. Matthew 7, 15 through 23. Warnings against false prophets with the true test being fruitful deeds. James 2, 14 through 19. Warning against dead faith with the true test being faithful deeds. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. A parable to illustrate putting Christ's words into practice. James 2, 20 through 26. Examples to illustrate putting faith into action. And both chapters end. They're like the same book. They're the same chapter. James taught that faith without works is dead. Why? Because Jesus taught that that faith without fruit and fruitful works is fruitless and dead. Here's what Jesus said about it in verses 19 and 20 that I referenced. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Friends, it wasn't James who was the radical one. It wasn't Paul who was the radical one. It wasn't Peter who was the radical one. The radical one is Jesus Christ. And if you're in the Paul camp, guess what? You're in the Jesus camp. If you're in the the James camp, guess what? You're in the Jesus camp. Because they were in the Jesus camp. Jesus was first radical. He initiated this radical thought. We see his introduction at at the Sermon on the Mount. Radical thinking. What What you think will bring you happiness, throw it out the window. You are blessed and happy when. Which, by the way, I'm pretty certain the Beatitudes are rarely taught in seeker-sensitive churches because it goes totally contrary to church growth. Totally contrary. Don't tell me. Don't tell me that I want that I'm going to suffer. Don't tell me I'm better off when I mourn. Don't tell me I'm better off when I'm poor in spirit. Don't tell me I'm better off when people are saying and doing horrible things about me. I don't want to come back to church if I hear that. Jesus led with this. Why? 
Because there's got to come a point when we open our minds to Him and His ways and we say, okay, I want to see it as you see it. I want to see it as your, your Father has conveyed to you what His heart is. When it comes to faith, when it comes to belief, we don't have to have it all figured out. We don't even have to understand it all, guys. We just have to do. We just have to obey. And belief without obeying is non-existent. It's non-existent. Belief without action is non-existent. Belief leads to action. Belief leads to a radical surrender of your life in favor of receiving the fullness of what he has. That is radical, and it requires action. See, you can't hold on to Jesus Christ and still hold on to everything the world has to offer. And that's what he is driving home as he's starting this off. His introduction to ministry is, you've got to let go and grab a hold of me. Let go of your old way of thinking and let let me renew your mind. Let go of your old way of feeling and operating and trust me and receive my heart. So over the next two weeks, please study this with me. James chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 7. I'm not going to preach that. I'm not going to preach that parallel again. But I want us to get it. Anytime God cares enough about a passage of Scripture to duplicate it, theme by theme by theme by theme for the entire chapter, that's probably stuff that we should grab a hold of, don't you think? So now that we've seen James's inspiration, let's go to James chapter 2. Verse 1, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Favoritism and discrimination contradicts faith. We can't hold faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Verse 2, for a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes. And there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand way back over there. Or or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren. But by the way, I love the fact that he's just constantly saying, my beloved brethren. Man, he's trying to communicate a hard topic with such affection. Man, I love you. I love you. Hear me. I love you. Hear me. I mean, when we read this passage and we see the redundancy in that, it's awesome. Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Where did he hear that from? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich one who oppresses you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, According to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. To drive this point of discrimination home, let's just look at two more other scriptures that use this exact same word that address that theme. Romans 2, 9 through 11. 
There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Ephesians 6, 9. And masters, do the same things to them, their servants, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. I wholeheartedly believe that one of the reasons that God has blessed Impact Rock the way that he has is because we don't allow this type of discrimination in our church. Creating an atmosphere of belonging, it is now and it always has been part of our DNA. No matter who you are, you belong. And I believe that we we reek of that. I believe that just flows from us. And there's blessing in that. But friends, let's not be mistaken and think because it doesn't take place in this church that it takes place that it doesn't take place in his body in other places. And it's foul to the Lord. Doubt and discrimination contradict faith. Faith is more than just believing. Faith is more than just believing. Faith is doing. Doubt keeps us from faith. Faith is doing. Doubt keeps us from faith. Doubt keeps us from doing. We read it earlier. I'll read it again. James 1, 5 through 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. That word doubting. We're going to come to that in a second. It's a very interesting word. For the one who doubts is like the sea the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So that word doubting is diakrino. And listen to the definition. This is the definition of doubting. This is the Greek translation of this word diakrino. To separate, to make a distinction, discriminate, to prefer. To learn by discrimination, to try, decide. To determine, give judgment, decide a dispute. To separate oneself in a hostile spirit, to oppose, to strive with dispute, to contend, to be at variance with oneself, to hesitate, to doubt. That is the definition in order of what you will get in any Strong's Concordance. This is the word doubt. And it speaks of discrimination, of making separation, of dividing. And it says, let let any man ask in faith without doing these things. The person who doubts discriminates. Period. The person who doubts discriminates. When we doubt, we discriminate. Discriminate against who? God. When we doubt, we discriminate against God. When we ask God to be God, right? When we ask Him to be God, when we ask Him to be who He is, we ask Him to be 
abundant and great and faithful and healing and miraculous. When we ask God to be God and then we doubt, then we make judgment that God truly isn't God. That's what our doubt is, friends. When we ask God to be God and then we doubt, we make judgment that He is not who we think He is, that He is not who He says He is, and that He will not do what He says He will do. Doubt is discrimination, and both of those things contradict faith. We are to live a life of faith. James 2, verse 1, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. That word is prosopolamsia, something like that. And here's what it's, here's what it's translated as. Respect of persons, partiality, the fault of one who when called on to give justice, to give judgment has respect of the outward circumstances of man and and not to their intrinsic merits and so prefers as the more worthy one who is rich, high-born, or powerful to another who does not have these qualities. Favoritism contradicts faith. And it's on this point that James draws his conclusion to show that favoritism contradicts faith and you can't hold them both. The verb translated discriminated has already been used in chapter 1, verse 6. They're translated as doubt, but used in opposition to faith. So once again, I just want to point out some parallel language, both in the book of James, 1 chapter 1, 1 chapter 2. So 1, 6, ask for wisdom in faith, not doubting. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 4, hold faith in Christ, not discriminating. the common instance of both of these passages and uses of that word. The common theme is division. A dividing takes place when we don't believe. Division is at the core of judgment. It's impossible for us to to serve in the seat of judgment and not bring division. It's not our place. It's not our role. And when we serve in that place, the result is division. One six doubters asking for wisdom are are divided internally because they hold doubts at odds with faith. Chapter two one and four Christians who practice favoritism are divided relationally because they hold materialistic values at odds with faith. One six doubters are discriminating or making a judgment whether God will or will not give what is needed. Chapter two one one and four Christians who practice favoritism are discriminating or making a judgment between the value of the rich person and the value of the poor person. The correction that James gives to both of them is be single-minded, not double-minded. Have faith. Put your trust in the glorious one, Jesus Christ. Be in agreement with him. Godly living, living, Southern came out there, godly living, It's a primary focus in the book of James. This book gives us practical, vital, common sense, wisdom and instruction about living and growing in godliness. It'd be real easy just to read past this and go, no, we're good. 
uh, that's, that's good. That's, I, that's awesome that it's in there. But that's not me. Friends, it is us. It is us at times. When we doubt. When we divide. When we are partial. James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament because of its wisdom. And I thank God for this season that God has called us to study and to apply these things. Friends, we need this wisdom. We need this vital Christianity in our lives. We need the application of these truths in our lives. By God's grace, we seek to live in righteousness and peace in everything that we do. Verse 1 through 9 that we just read, it teaches us to love all people regardless of social or economic status. And to love others the way that Jesus loves you and he loves me. And how does Jesus love you and love me? Without conditions. Without conditions. Without, we say unconditionally all the time, but without conditions. What conditions do we put on people before we'll allow our love to them? What conditions do we put on people before we will allow an embrace or a welcome or a sense of belonging? The result of those type of things, that type of division. Barriers. I mean, can I really bring it into your kitchen for a second? Can I really bring it home? You might be sitting there saying, Mark, I, I truly don't think that I show partiality. I truly don't think that I show discrimination. No? Do you give yourself that preferred seat? No, I'm not talking about this seat. I'm not talking about this. This is not the preferred seat I'm talking about. Do you give yourself the preferred seat in a lot of different areas. Do you put your needs first? Do you put your personal preferences first before others, before anyone else? Do you put your flaws first? Do you put your shortcomings first? Do you put your preferences first? That's called partiality. The result of that is, divi- is division. It does divide. Matthew five fourteen through 16 says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that may, they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This also was part of the Sermon on the Mount. Are you, are you taking the light of Jesus Christ that's been put inside you and are you putting it under a bushel? Are you hiding the light because you're not comfortable sharing? Because you don't want to be seen? Because you aren't confident that you're the right type. Because you don't feel qualified because of education, experience, background. You know, I don't really have a good reason. I just don't want to. Or how about I don't deserve it. 
If you can answer yes to any of those things, then you are guilty of partiality and discrimination. And placing your preferences above the needs of others is exactly that. You don't believe me? Let me flip these questions questions around. So now it's no longer about you. It's no longer about you. It's about this clown right here. It's about this guy that just walked in. I'm not comfortable with that person sharing. I don't want that person to be seen. I'm not confident that they're the right type. I don't feel like they're qualified because of their education or their experience or their background. I don't really have a good reason. I just don't want them. They just don't deserve to. Where's the difference? One sounds really mean and harsh. And I was a little louder in all honesty. I was much more aggressive in that. But see, we make excuses when we apply these questions to ourselves and our reason of hiding the light. And we were pretty good about this other, about, no, no, I'm not excluding that person. But yet, we exclude ourselves. We discriminate against ourselves. We disqualify ourselves. And the result is a, is a basket being put over a light when it says we are to be a city on a hill for everyone to see. The things I listed, it's ugly, but it's plain and it's simple and it's discrimination. And the Word of God warns us against it. I told you I was going to take it to your kitchen. So you don't tell racial jokes. That's great. That's, that's very moral of you. But there are other forms of discrimination. By the way, we shouldn't be telling racial jokes. We shouldn't be discriminating. We shouldn't be ruling people out because of how they look or how they sound or because of their experience or any of these things. But it's not acceptable for us to do it to ourselves as well. What I just listed, what I just named, I believe it's the biggest form of discrimination in the church today. And we don't think it's discrimination because it's us we're talking about. We write it off as being our freedoms. Remember I said we can't hold on to the world and hold on to Jesus? We can't do both. He says, I've got some radical things. I'm going to go and throw them out there because to follow me, there's got to be a radical surrender. And part of that includes our freedoms, guys. We have got to accept that. Part of that is relinquishing freedoms that we have. The freedom to, to sit there quiet and not let his light shine. No! You don't have that freedom anymore. If you've got the light of Jesus Christ within you, you don't have that freedom anymore. You gave it to him when you received his grace and his forgiveness and his life. James makes clear the principle that we cannot serve two masters. We cannot say we love God and serve God and then live our lives for someone else. Even if that someone else is the man in the mirror. Wholehearted devotion to God is expressed willingly and practically through good works. I'm going to say it again. 
wholehearted devotion to God is expressed willingly and practically through good works. And it's the kind of life to which the book of James calls us to. Remember I talked about, you know, in former weeks, I talked about no one makes me. I don't, I'm not faithful to my wife out of an ungodly sense of obligation. I'm faithful to her because I love her. And I, I said the same thing. I don't do the things I do for God out of some sort of obligation, religious binding, but out of my love for Him. Wholehearted devotion, guys. I say it all the time. And we, we just got to be a church that just repeats this. Repentance is an amazing gift. To have our minds renewed by Him, to yield to His mind, to His way of thinking, to rethink, agreeing with Him, is an amazing thing. I'm asking us as a church right now to just take a moment where we are to rededicate our devotion to Him. To rededicate our our heart and life to loving, following, and obeying Jesus. And to just absolutely kick to the curb the idea of it being this obligation. It's done out of love. Out of the overflow of our love for Him. If you need to, repent right where you are of discriminating against yourself by not letting God use you in any way. Repent. Change your mind. Agree with Him. Because I'll tell you what His mind is right now. i tell you what His heart is on it. He wants to use you. He wants to use you everywhere. In the workplace, in the neighborhood, in this church, on the ball fields, at parent meetings, In the lunchroom. He wants to use us. That's his heart. If applicable, repent of discriminated against God. Through doubt. Through not believing that he is who he says he is. By not believing that he will do what he says he will do. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. That word ask is a repetitive verb. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. And I heard it phrased this way by Graham Cook and it was wonderful. If, you, if you're asking things of God and you're not hearing anything from Him, maybe He doesn't like the question. Maybe you need to keep asking, but just rephrase your question. Maybe you're asking the wrong question. So I like that because it's not me being this annoying little bratty kid. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Will we be there in five minutes? No. Well, I like that better. Will we be there in five hours? No. Somewhere between. How long will it take us to get there? Well, if we drive straight through, I don't know, about two and a half hours. But there's a cool couple stops along the way. And so if we stop, it'll probably be three and a half, four hours. But I don't think we want to miss the things that are along the way. What do you think? Yeah, I want to stop. I want to stop along the way. Let's take it all in. 
if we're asking if we're asking questions and we're not hearing from God, if we're seeking and we're not finding, if we're knocking and it hasn't been opened, let's adjust our question. Let's adjust our asking. Let's adjust the things we're doing so that we have His mind on it and say, Lord, maybe I'm asking from a, a mindset that, that serves me or maybe it's from one of doubt. Lord, renew my mind. Lord, fill my heart once again with You. I've preached on that repetitively. And then when that happens, ask again. This time with a full heart. This time with a with a renewed mind. So if you've discriminated or doubted against God, just where you are, it doesn't have to be this emotional thing. Or by all means, man, ball your eyes out. You've got the freedom for both. And everywhere in between. But if that repentance, if that change of mind is needed, agree with Him and see it the way He sees it. Rededicate your heart and life to letting His light shine through you. Starting with being so, 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 so bright in this place right here. This is a safe place to be bright. This is a safe place to throw off the basket. This is a safe place to stretch your legs and to test the gifts, to put them to practice so that your faith can be built. So when we leave this place, we have a little bit more boldness to walk in that. Guys, I promise you, if we will do this, it'll change lives. It'll set people free. And a pretty cool benefit is if we'll start doing it in this place, we're all the ones that get to benefit from this willingness to let the Lord shine through us. Let's pray.